We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Road to Wire College Football Podcast. The Devon Best of College Football Podcast. Uh, I am Nick Whalen, and the Casper Brinkley to my Jasper Brinkley is here. John McKechnie, Rotowire's head college football editor, uh, pretty much runs all of our college football content uh, in season and out. Jonathan, happy to be back with you. Yeah, likewise, man. And uh, you know, if we want to want to pull a a current day uh, version of of that name comp name drop, the uh, the Jared Stearns to my Jareth. Stearns, uh, both those guys crushing it at, at Western Kentucky right now. Ooh, love it. Love it. Love a good set of twins, right? I, I, I don't know if Jasper and Casper Brinkley were actually famous or if I was just like weirdly obsessed with college football around that time and they were in like the Lindy's preview magazine that I happened <laughs> to be reading. Uh, but but those two will, will always remain. I don't think either of them really had much of an NFL career that I remember. They, they may not have, but they, they live on and uh, they live on through the, the Rotowire College Football Podcast. So, it, you know, that it's still powerful that their essence still with us. I don't think they would have it any other way. Uh, let's, let's do as we always do recap the week. That was, we'll look ahead to week eight, uh, much like week seven, not a, an overwhelmingly fantastic slate. We got a, a decent number of good teams on by uh, it's Kansas week for Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, so it probably won't be a ton of takeaways there. Uh, we do have Wisconsin though, uh, going to Purdue on Saturday afternoon, ranked Purdue. Uh, first ranked time Purdue. in uh, First time since I, I want to say like 2006 or 2007. I will look that up and confirm it before we talk about that game. But uh, rewinding a bit to week seven, we need to start with Georgia. You were on the scene of number one dominant Georgia uh, taking down number 11, Kentucky. The final was 30 to 13 in that one. Uh, you attended this game not as a media member, but as a civilian. Um, so, so walk me through. I mean, this is not your first Georgia game by any means. Obviously, you're an alum of the University of Georgia, but uh, you know, you don't get back there quite as much as you used to in the you know 2010 to 2014 days. Uh, what was it like, you know, being in the stands as a civilian for this one? 
Yeah, it was it was awesome because the last time that I went to a Georgia game, we we didn't really tailgate because it was just monsooning out. That was um, Texas A and M weekend in 2019. So this time, kind of got closer to the full game day experience. Uh, you know, got my stuff done in the morning, got us up all the way through that that early window of kickoffs, and then me and the boys were off to to go and uh, and meet up with our friends at, at a tailgate over on campus. And uh, you know, it was just so many people there, so many people I hadn't seen in, in a little bit, um, just a really good mix of, of folks. And so that that just felt like just the ultimate. I, I absolutely love a good tailgate, uh, as you can maybe tell from uh, my old Twitter handle, um, uh, my current Twitter Twitter handle as yeah, well. Yeah, I was going to say, um, did you change it like within the last 20 minutes? Uh, that, for better or for worse, that, that is my Twitter handle, I think, going forward. <laughs> um, you know, I... I didn't love it, but it, it it's an easier readout than John John McKex or Johnny McKex, whatever it used to be, yep. because that's just a, a jumble of consonants that uh, didn't really work well for, for radio hits that I have to do during the NFL season. Uh, but regardless, then uh, we went into the game. We were sitting section 128, so lower lower level, and it's just such a different experience. Like in college they just stick the fraternity section up in the 600. So you could like, everyone just looks like ants from up there. Uh, so it was amazing to just kind of like get an actual good view of the game of the players. Uh, I really did not appreciate Kentucky wearing the shiny helmets because I was just getting glare in my eyes constantly throughout. So I don't know if that was a strategic move by them, but uh, it didn't fully work out. A lot of people were mad at the very end with, with Stoops calling that uh, timeout to set up a touchdown that ended up, uh, getting Kentucky that cover, they still the total still didn't hit. I was upset about that personally, um, but yes, Kentucky managed to cover. But it was it was great. Uh, we got to walk over behind the hedges on our way out of the stadium. That's always a cool experience. You're like right behind the players and everything. So it was just all in all uh, an absolute blast. And Athens on Friday night and Saturday night was, was total zoo. Uh, so it was good to see that as well. So uh, you know it's good to see that it's still standing and, and still uh, thriving. Yeah. Nothing better than, you know, taking down a couple beers with the fellas, especially the college fellas that you haven't seen in a while, uh, getting to take in a nice afternoon football game. Looked like it was great weather out there. Yes. Uh, very envious. We've been discussing this for years now of, of me, you basically being my liaison into an sec football game. Uh, and at some point it's going to happen. I think you, you know, restationing to Atlanta was probably the best thing that ever happened um, to, to make that transpire. So one of these days, I will finally get make my dream come true of, of attending an SEC football game. Uh, but the dogs keep rolling. The dogs are the number one team in the country. It's unanimous again this week. Um, you know, Alabama obviously tripped up two weeks ago. Georgia doesn't really look like at this point it's going to be tripped up. Who knows? I mean, Alabama, I, I think nobody felt that way before the Texas A&M loss. But it, it still feels like we're on a collision course you know, for, for, for the SEC title game in Atlanta. Yeah, it would be surprising if it's anyone – other than Georgia and Bama uh, in Atlanta in December um, or Georgia, Alabama. And yeah. Uh, so, you know, Bama gets, gets back on track last week. They still have a couple tough ish games ahead of them, but um, I think the worst is behind them. So I expect them to kind of cruise the rest of the way. They, they kind of were able to take out their frustrations on Miss state um, yep. last Saturday night. Um, they get t- Tennessee this week and, you know, Vegas has that as like a, a four touchdown game. I think a lot of that has to do with the Tennessee quarterback uh, situation with with uh, Hendon Hooker. But either way, 
Bama is still looking very, very strong. Uh, I think the further that we get out from that A&M loss, that you know, the more we'll kind of be able to focus on on what Alabama really is. Um, as for Georgia, I do feel like they are the best team. Uh, you know, that they, they've been just mauling top fifteen, top ten opponents with a guy who's like my size playing quarterback for them, uh, former walk on in Stetson Bennett. So. Provided that JT Daniels gets back this uh, this next week after the bye, I think that that's going to open up an entirely different level of, of this offense. The receivers are starting to get healthy. So I still don't think that necessarily Georgia has played its best game at, at full strength or anything. So um, there's that's a crazy thing to say, given how they've done through this point of the season. But I really do believe that the, that the ingredients are there. And, uh, you know, we start to see some of these other top teams uh, start to fall off. Obviously, Iowa, um, it's just it just feels further and further that that Georgia is in a tier of its own right now, closely followed by Bama, in my opinion. And then it's really, really wide open after that. Well, in that Florida game, you know, Georgia's Georgia's on by this coming week. Um, and then you look ahead to that final weekend in October. You know, you're at Florida, which is still not going to be a pushover game. But at the same time, I think that game, you know, it's not as intimidating now as it looked like it might be, you know, three or four weeks ago. So you get through that one and then you finish out home for Missouri. Um, you know, you're at Tennessee, you're home against Charleston Southern, and then you're at Georgia Tech. In some ways, you know, you don't want to put the cart before the wagon or whatever. What's the phrase? Cart before the wagon? Cart, cart before, before the, the horse. horse. Cart before the horse. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't have a wagon towing a cart. You don't want to put the cart before the horse. But you get through this Florida game, you got to be feeling pretty good about the rest of the way. Right. You know, the the – yeah, the way the schedule sets up the rest of the way, uh, I I was a little bit more intimidated about the Tennessee game going into last weekend, but I, I think that their defense just is not quite to the level of their offense, and I think their offense loses out to Georgia's defense. So Neyland's a crazy place. Crazy things have happened there, but I would still have Georgia as, as multi-touchdown favorites on the road there. Uh, the, the thing about Florida, you know, we saw it more early in the season, I think before they started to hit the skids, with Anthony Richardson being this electric guy uh, that they would rotate in at quarterback. Um, Florida's on a bye this week as well. I don't think that they're going to be sneaking up on Georgia at all. If they go ahead and, and bench Emory Jones or, or use him lightly and then just go with a lot of Anthony Richardson, just because he's such a different type of player um, and such like a physically dominant player. So Georgia needs to be ready for that. But yeah, Florida does uh, profile at the very least, as the toughest team the rest of the way on Georgia's schedule. But they've been very, very mistake-prone uh, to this point in the season and have had some you know, tough losses that they definitely could have avoided, if not for some mental miscues. So um, I, I don't expect that necessarily to get fixed, and I think that that will uh, ultimately be one of the things that is uh, Florida's undoing uh, come next Saturday. You know, our pals at the DraftKings Sportsbook ha have odds up, as they have all year, to – make the college football playoff and the Georgia Bulldogs are by far the, the most heavily favored team to get there. They're, you know, it's a, it's a yes, no prop. And their yes is minus 1200. Uh, I mean, by comparison, Alabama minus 165, uh, Oregon uh, plus 900, uh, Michigan plus 390, Oklahoma minus 180, Ohio state minus 115. Um, so even those other teams that are still in really good shape to get there, um, it's, it's almost a 50, 50, proposition if you go by those numbers and, and Georgia is just so heavily favored I mean they could essentially trip up in one of those games and, and it, I'm not really sure it would matter much much in the same way that Alabama losing to Texas A&M didn't really cross them off 
Right, exactly. I think that if Georgia were to trip up, then the SEC championship would be a de facto uh, play-in game for the playoff because I, I don't really see, even with this year being kind of the weakened field with so few unbeatens, um, I think a two-loss team would would be hard to justify um, putting in. So Georgia needs to take care of business the rest of the way, but they would essentially, if they make it through the season undefeated, unscathed, and lose to Alabama, I mean, the, Alabama would really have to crush them in, in order for Georgia to, to to work its way out of the playoffs. So uh, I tend to agree with with, our, with what our buddies over at DK mm-hmm. are saying about those playoff odds. Yeah, and you mentioned – you know, there's a lot of one-loss teams. Like a, a ton of the teams that we thought, you know, would, would not trip up have tripped up, but very few teams have tripped up twice. You know, like you, you have a ton of one-loss teams that are still not really out of it. Um, so if you're if you're a team like Cincinnati, I feel like you'd almost prefer that you know Ohio State take two losses instead of Ohio State take a loss, Alabama take a loss, Penn State take a loss, Oregon take a loss, Iowa take a loss. Like all these teams, you know, these big-time playoff-contending teams have tripped up, but none of them have tripped up enough to officially eliminate them. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned Ohio State is having is having minus odds on, on their on their playoff uh, right. prop. So I, and I tend to agree with that. Honestly, I, I could see, you know, they, they obviously have to make it through that gauntlet. I, I think we really get that started up next week with what the Big Ten East, you know, kind of free for all is going to be like the rest of the way where we start to see that. I think they get Ohio State next week, maybe Michigan, Michigan State next week as well. Um, so we're going to start to see a, a thinning of the herd here as far as those one-loss teams uh, are concerned. Obviously, Michigan hasn't lost yet. Michigan State hasn't lost yet, but they haven't necessarily proven anything yet either. And I feel like Oregon, it's all there for them, but man, can they can they be any less convincing about it? You know, you, know, you get the know. you get you get the win at Ohio State, and you're like, dang, like that is that is like the win of the season, and then they lose to a really mediocre Stanford team and that might even be generous and then they they did everything that they that they could to lose that game against Cal last week Cal had every chance to to uh to go ahead and slay the giant up in up in Eugene they fell just short uh that fourth down play uh that they had was hilariously bad but um you know that Oregon this week they're they're road dogs against UCLA and UCLA hasn't necessarily been playing all that well of late either. But uh, I think it goes to show that Oregon, despite its, its current resume, it, its overall team strength feels like a little bit less so that they, they again have it all in front of them being a, a one last pack 12 champion potentially with, with, with that win against Ohio state. But I think truth serum uh, you would to any Oregon fan, they would expect one more loss during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, if Cincinnati continues to dominate and ends up losing out to a one-loss Oregon or, or even an undefeated Oklahoma, and, and we'll talk about the Sooners and, and what their you know path looks like going forward, but that, like a team like that that just kind of limps its way in and, and gets in just because it's the power conference team, like that would that would feel extra wrong, I guess, in this scenario. But yeah. it's it's a very real possibility, you know, especially if Oregon's able to get past UCLA. Um, I mean, they they've had some some Oklahoma-like traits. Obviously, they had the big win early on, but you know, ever since then, it's been far from dominant. Uh, and I referenced those those playoff yes-no. Uh, Cincinnati, for the record, uh, no, minus 125, yes, plus 105. So right there. But you know, if you go by these odds, they're kind of considered the fifth most likely team to get in. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it, it really does feel like it might set up that way. And depending on which poll you're looking at from this week, they're either number two 
or number three, obviously with, with the number two team in the country last week, uh, taking that uh, shocking loss. So, yeah, I think Cincinnati, to feel really good about it, they're going to need uh, an Oregon to slip up one more time to, to kind of take the Pac-12 out of the equation. The ACC has already kind of done that. Um, and, you know, we can use this as a transition to, to talk about OU because I've completely changed my tune on them. You know, like Spencer Rattler was this guy that was having them play a brand of football that was having me harken back to the that really underwhelming but playoff bound Florida State team from the first year that they had the playoff where they, they were winning, but it was ugly every single week. Um, now that they have Caleb Williams, it does feel like they've unlocked something and it, it does feel like Oklahoma can kind of run the table and do so in impressive fashion. Um, and in which case an undefeated, undefeated Oklahoma big 12 champion is definitely um, in the playoffs. So that, that locks in another spot there uh, that, that would go away from Cincinnati. You'd figure they'd be a much higher seed than Cincinnati in, in this particular scenario. So yeah, Cincinnati, I think Oregon, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma waking up is definitely something that, that is a unfortunate emerging storyline for them. Yeah, I mean, just look at the point totals from the last two weeks. I mean, it's a simple way to look at it, but you put up 52 on TCU, 55 on Texas. The three previous games, you know, with Rattler under center, 37 on Kansas State, 16 on West Virginia, 23 on Nebraska. Uh, you know, again, it, it's a simple way to look at it, but I, it, it almost feels like everybody kind of knew that this was going to happen at some point. And, you know, Rattler was doing just enough week to week to hold on to that job. John, you even look at this week against TCU, and yes, I'm just going to recite a box score here, but Caleb Williams, 18 of 23, 295, four touchdowns, no picks. That's a critical one. Uh, 60, 66 yards on the ground on just nine carries, had a 41-yarder, one touchdown. It's not like Spencer Rattler is not mobile, but he's not Caleb Williams mobile, and he's not Caleb Williams accurate. He doesn't have that decision-making. Um it just seems like this was coming for a long time. And and I think Oklahoma needed a big spot in a, in a kind of a big reason to make the change And the Texas game finally granted them that freedom. My question to you is, do you feel bad for Spencer Rattler at all? Because I, I, I don't know that I can remember like a more one-sided, like everybody seems to just be hating on this guy and was almost like rooting for him to fail from the beginning of the season. Yeah, that that's a great question. I, I, you know, he is a college kid, but at the same time, it's hard to view him as a sympathetic figure. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to dwell too much on, on like the QB one stuff where or a lot of people kind of had a, an ax to grind with him uh, coming into his Oklahoma career and how it had gone to this point. And then you look at how last year went that they, they have the two losses kind of erase themselves from the uh, playoff picture right away. But I mean, he did have it all right in front of him. Right. I mean, like you have a ridiculous group of receivers uh, if it goes bad, you have an awesome stable of running backs. You're in Lincoln Riley's offense. I, I guess at a certain point, as we've seen with Clemson, it's hard to just just assume that the next guy up is going to be as good as the last, if not better. So, I mean, in a sense, he, he's a victim of the success of, you know, Baker, Kyler, Jalen Hurts and everything. But they're it's hard to find a real excuse for why Rattler did this. And it's not like they played any great teams that, that he – uh, really struggled against, you know, like Nebraska might look a little bit better in hindsight than than what we thought, but West Virginia, not a good team. Texas, obviously having their own struggles. It, it's hard to say that to put the blame on anyone else, but Spencer Rattler and himself. So 
he kind of forced Oklahoma's hand. I mean, he he put them in a position where they were going to lose to Texas if he didn't get benched. Right. And, and I think it's a good point, you know, to say that he was somewhat of a, a victim of going to a program that has had so much quarterback success, but he also had the pedigree to absolutely follow in those footsteps, right? Like that's the reason he went to Oklahoma in the first place. Like it's not like he was being held to some unrealistic standard. You know, when you arrived there as a five-star outspoken recruit, you know, basically telling everybody how you're just going to be the next one in line. You know, it's not like he was some two-star who got forced into the starting job and everybody's like, why are you not Jalen Hurts? Why are you not Kyler Murray? Why are you not Baker Mayfield? Like this guy absolutely had the talent to be those guys. And those were all very different quarterbacks who all made it work in the system. Um, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, like maybe I'm answering my own question. Like he's, there's really no one else to blame. No, that this isn't a Kelly Bryant situation where he'd no. been, you know, toiling away. He, I mean, not that Bryant was a nothing recruit, but we obviously know what, what he ended up uh, amounting to. Like it, it simply what wasn't good enough. And you know, so when you look at Rattler and that recruiting pedigree um, that he had, I mean, he was the best quarterback recruit in that cycle. It's yeah, it's hard to blame anyone but yourself, especially when you're playing in, in a system that you know, turn Jalen Hurts from basically a, a RPO only type of guy at Alabama who himself found his way to the bench uh, to being this prolific passer. Like if, if Jalen Hurts is getting as many passing yards through uh, through this system as he was, then there's no reason for Rattler, who by all accounts is the better passer, especially like just on a pure level. There's no reason for him to to have not shredded this season. And, and he just didn't. He just fell short. All right, I want to go to Purdue, Iowa, and then hit a couple more games before we turn our attention to Week 8. Uh, but obviously, we'd be remiss if we didn't hit on this game. Purdue 24, Iowa 7. Uh, Iowa football was, was at its peak last week, You know, coming back and, and winning that game against Penn State. This one was really not even close. I mean, Spencer Petras throws four picks. The Iowa defense generates zero picks. That's all we heard about coming into this game, about how, how this defense is somehow just finding ways to, to keep creating turnovers. Uh, finally, that caught up to them. And and even so, I don't even know that picking off two or three passes would have saved Iowa in this game. The offense was disastrous. Uh, the defense uh, let Aiden O'Connell. You let somebody named Aiden throw for 375 <laughs> yards, complete 30 of 40 passes for 375 and two touchdowns. Um, I, I don't know. That might be the most yards ever by someone named Aiden. Uh, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a better Aiden performance. Absolutely. So, so strong lead point well taken and and yeah i mean for iowa that really is just such a stark taste of your own medicine where where they've been getting by by just crushing teams into the ground by virtue of of creating a ton of turnovers you take that off the table for them what are they really not a whole lot that's what we found out i mean at the same time though i don't think this is that shocking right because it did seem like there was a little bit of unsustainability smoke and mirrors with this team where, where obviously there was, they were kind of tapping into something beyond the talent and beyond the recruiting that mm -hmm. was allowing them to, to play so well. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone looked at this Iowa team as like a serious playoff contender or let alone a national title contender. At the same time, I don't think anyone saw them losing at home to Purdue a week after beating Penn state. Right. Exactly. It's, it's just like, you know, that they, they come off the statement win, even though we, we, you know, threw our own little bit of shade at it last week, you know, with, with, with Clifford getting injured in that game, but even still, I mean, you, you do not see that coming uh, against a Purdue team that now finds itself ranked, of course, but I wouldn't say they were even like a true dark horse, sneaky team necessarily going into last week that you could really 
squint and see it. Just I didn't think that they matched up well against Iowa. I thought Iowa's secondary was going to be able to bracket David Bell enough. That definitely wasn't the case. David Bell is a boss, and uh, he he really got it done. And you know he he carried Aiden Aiden O'Connell to those numbers, and it was amazing. And then you you know you look at Iowa's offense, and it it's what Iowa's offense has been. It, it just didn't have the explosive. Uh, Tyler Goodson type of element last week, you know, 12 carries for 68 yards. That's definitely not their formula for success on offense. So, you know, what was looking like, again, like you said, Iowa, probably not someone that you were seriously considering to to make it the playoff just because you you thought that they were going to have their comeuppance in the Big Ten title game. But we also definitely said, or at least I did, that this was this was that Penn State win was their chance. And the rest of the way, they wouldn't really be able to pad the resume. Uh, but you certainly couldn't afford to overlook anybody, and they certainly did that. Yeah, this is the opposite of padding the resume. Uh, Purdue won this game so handily that we got to see the backup quarterback, Jack Plummer, in this game. And I, I immediately am like, Jack Plummer? That sounds a lot like Jake Plummer. Looked him up. He's from Arizona. It's like it has to be his son, right? No relation at all. I know. I know, man. One of the more disappointing little storylines ever since. I, yeah. Ever since I saw that he was from Arizona, I was like, it's got to be right. But yeah, I know. I, um, I, I ended up Googling it and there, there was an article that I saved. And here's the headline <laughs> of the article. Not Jake's son, Gilbert, Arizona <laughs> QB, Jack Plummer trying to make a name for himself. <laughs> like you're not even living in your own father's shadow, but like <laughs> just by name, name circumstance, you, you, yeah. <laughs> you got to get around it. Trying to outrun the shadow of like a slightly above average at times NFL quarterback from the early 2000s. <laughs> you played um, for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, let's uh, let's go to Florida LSU. Uh, really, really fun game. 49-42 in favor of the Tigers. Uh, come from behind win to, to take this one. Uh, obviously, the, the game itself kind of ended up not really being the storyline as we found out shortly after the game that Coach O will not be returning next season. Always a weird move when you announce something like that in the middle of the season. Um, but you know, it worked for LSU, uh, this past week. I, you know, I, I don't really have too many takeaways from the game itself. I, I would like to more address the, the coach O situation. Turns out he's like maybe even more of a, of a hound dog than we thought. Uh, <laughs> apparently you just can't, you know, it's kind of sad what this country has come to. You just can't talk to women anymore. Yeah, apparently. Cause uh, I think he got divorced like after the natty. Or something yeah, I think like, like that. immediately after. Yeah, yeah. So he he was ready to shift into king mode, absolutely. <laughs> and and you know you, you get you see the reports of his various girlfriends showing up to practice, yeah. uh, having their their kids like get in on practice reps. That's just Ooh, normal. Like, hey, that's a, that's normal <laughs> behavior hey, in a big time. At program. Clemson, like, they call that a family environment. Yeah, right. If the coach's girlfriend's not going through Oklahoma drill, then what kind of program are you running? See, you you can't be soft at any level. So. Um, yeah, it's it was a, you know, it's something where I think you and I both were in agreement that that this was going to be Coach O's last, uh, his swan song at LSU, regardless, uh, just based on on how this season had gone to this point. But, you know, bowing up and beating Florida in a rivalry game at, at home, impressive. And they had done something on the field, not, not to get away from Coach O too much, but um on the field that they hadn't unlocked whatsoever. Like they, they couldn't run the ball to save their lives early in the season. Then you see Kayshawn Boutte uh, get injured for the season, ruled out for the season against Kentucky. All of a sudden they realize, okay, we can't just like go full air raid anymore. We're going to need to run the ball at least a little bit. And against Florida, they certainly could. I mean, uh, Price Davis, um, you know, sets the single 
game rushing record for for an LSU running back like out of nowhere that was shocking so um that that does set up an interesting game this weekend in Oxford um against Ole Miss but when it comes to LSU now that that job is open who do you think that you've seen bandied about uh this week uh it would be an interesting coaching hire for them I think I think the first call you make is to the University of Illinois athletic director and say, what is it mm-hmm. going to take to get Brett Bielema? <laughs> and, you know, you'll, they'll, they'll probably hang up the phone and say he's yeah. not available. Um, you know, the only job we'd allow him to take is to go back to Wisconsin and fulfill his manifest destiny. Um, but I don't know, man. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of jokes about like LSU, you know, doesn't take these hires seriously. And they, they just hire, like they hire guys, you know, I'm putting that in, in quotes. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't really, they don't look into like the true tacticians of the job. Um, and certainly Coach O fits that, fits that description, but it also got him a national title a couple of years ago. So you, you can't necessarily knock it. I mean, the first name that, that always comes to mind with any big time job is, is Chris Peterson. Although to me, Chris Peterson doesn't really strike me as an LSU guy. No, no, I, I don't know. I mean, you hear Lane Kiffin's name, obviously, I, I think he'll, he'll feel that as much as he possibly can. Although, I mean, obviously LSU is a big jump up from Ole Miss, but like as currently constructed, like can, would Blaine Kiffin like burn another bridge within the SEC to, to make a, a jump up to LSU that again is a better job, but the way he's built Ole Miss, like it, it doesn't exactly seem like the most opportune time to want to step away from that. Right. Uh, you know, you, you, you do factor in the wrinkle. I think that, that Matt Corral will be gone after this year. Right. Um, but you know, that there are bridges that you burn, but if you're still moving upward at the same time, you know, you, you get, what is probably a top three, top four job in the SEC and a top 10 one nationally, it is a step up, you know? So I, I do feel like it's not completely out of, out of Lane's character to do that. And it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I wouldn't put him as the betting favorite. Um, you know, you look at around the, the SEC, even um, I've seen a lot of connection to Jimbo Fisher, you know, because Scott Woodward, the, the uh, athletic director at LSU he was the one that hired Jimbo at AM. He he's known for making these splashy hires. Um, and certainly that would be a huge one. Obviously, Jimbo just got an extension on what was already an absurd contract. Um, you know, a 10-year deal when he signed it and then got a few more years tacked onto it. Would he would he leave? Uh, but he does have those LSU ties back from way, way back when, like early 2000s. I, I want to say Nick Saban era um LSU, but Either way, um, that's that's definitely a name that I've seen thrown around. I think the smart hire would be Mario Cristobal from Oregon. Um, uh, I think that he's done an amazing job up there. The way that he's recruited, um, just kind of taken over the West Coast um, has been really impressive. He has ties to the South. Um, He's been in the SEC before at at Alabama as as a position coach. Um, I think that he has the as like the best resume coupled with like the the most like gettability like i think it is going to be a little bit tough at least i think uh to pry jimbo uh from a&m yeah that, that one seems pretty implausible just based on on the money but you never know i mean it's not like lsu doesn't have deep pockets to spend on something like this I, i'm looking at the odds right now via sports line uh fittingly the, the guy who wrote this article his last name is severance um there would be some <laughs> severance pay involved That's here we'll, we'll just say that uh james franklin listed as the favorite at four to one Lane Kiffin and, and Mel Tucker at MSU. They're both five to one. Jimbo seven to one. You got Billy Napier at eight to one. Dave Aranda 
at nine to one, Luke Fickle, 10 to one, uh, Mark Stoops, Joe Brady, Mario Cristobal, Bob Stoops, Bill O'Brien, and Hugh Freeze are the other names on that list, all, all somewhere between 11 and 20 to one. Yeah, that's a, that's quite the list there. There's some some interesting names. Uh, you know, Mel Tucker, I, I saw him and I kind of immediately crossed him off. But, you know, he, he's he's got something cooking at, at Michigan State, clearly. But, you know, that that would be his third job in four years. Yep. I think that would be wild. And I, I feel like James Franklin, there, I think there's a reason why he would be the betting favorite. You know, there it seems like he doesn't have like the, the closest relationship with Penn state. It feels like they're a little bit tired of him, but he, I mean, he other than last year has produced extremely well at Penn state, I feel like, but um, it's just a matter of like, can he recruit the South? Obviously he used to coach at Vanderbilt and did well at Vanderbilt, but um, you know, Vanderbilt, you're not recruiting the, the same, you're not trying to win the same recruiting battles that you would um, at LSU. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens there, but I mean, Franklin would make sense, but I, I wouldn't think that it, I wouldn't characterize it necessarily, um, as a home run. And I, I don't know if Bob Stoops wants to get out of bed for I something that so. would be as stress, as stressful as being LSU's head coach anymore. No, he's living it up on that Fox morning show. I, I think he's pretty comfy. Where he's he got his own now. tequila, I think. Yeah. So yeah, no, he's, he's, he's got going. that to look out. That's way too much work. Uh, mm-hmm. and Mel Tucker, a lot of people forget interim Jaguars coach in 2011 which is maybe like a slight step down from coaching LSU that, that, that 11 Jags team was, was not one to remember uh, by any means. I, I think he took I over sure for JDR. Uh, what do you think about Joe Brady? Then we'll wrap this up uh, 12 to one. I mean, I, I think Joe Brady is, is very much in line for an NFL job. So maybe that's more appealing, but if he, if he wants to be a head college football coach, like this is the opportunity that you think would, would be really appealing. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's like the obvious connections there that you can draw yeah. Um, with, with the way that that he just kind of ignited a sleeping giant in, in LSU, you know, they always had all the all the offensive talent, but it never showed up in the box score, never showed up when you actually watched them until Brady, you know, kind of d- designed that offense and, and everything. So, yeah, it does feel like the NFL is is, is his true calling. Uh, you know, that's where he came to LSU from. Uh, so, and, you know, taking on a, a head coaching job is just so different uh, or at the college level that, than the NFL. I mean, that's 365 days. Not that NFL coaches don't have their own uh, int- or unique set of circumstances they have to deal with. But, man, there's so much more political stuff uh, when, with being a college coach at, at a huge program. So it's a matter of does Joe Brady want to take that on? But he could be if he wants it and he goes back to LSU it could be like a Lincoln Riley esque um, type of type of fit where he just has them uh, humming on offense every single year. All right, let's turn our attention to week eight, which began uh, already. We, we had a, a top 15 team in action uh, on Wednesday night. We, we saw the Appalachian state fighting Armani Edwards's take down number 14 coastal Carolina, handing them uh, their first loss of the season. Uh, you tweeted out a, a very regal picture of yourself. <laughs> Uh, what, at what looked to be the Appalachian State campus uh, yes. last night. I, I, I was in full-on NBA mode. There was like 13 NBA games happening. So I was I was kind of tuned out on this one. And I saw that photo come across my Twitter feed. I'm like, is, like, is John just tweeting this out just because he looks really good in it? Or did something happen with Appalachian State? Lo and behold, Appalachian State, the Mountaineers, getting the 30-27 to 27 victory at home. Yeah, a li- little bit of both. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I went and visited Boone late last summer. Uh, got to see the rock, which is what they call their stadium, and obviously uh, took that took that pose, that picture with Yosef that that 
tremendous statue that they have there on campus. So that has kind of endeared me to to App State. And uh, even though like Coastal is kind of America's like little darling team, and I I de- definitely loved Coastal last year, and I've enjoyed what they've been doing this year. And you know they got a coach with a mullet, like that rules. They wear teal, uh, like that they, they rock. They they rock for sure. But uh, you know obviously my allegiance is lied with, with app state. And, uh, you know, there last night was a great night for the no, co- no context college football account. Uh, so many good crowd shots. There was a guy in a marshmallow, like the, the EDM guy, like he was wearing a marshmallow helmet in the stands. You had a bunch of people in, in their, uh, black and yellow overalls, a lot of beards. It's very bearded people there at app state. And they, I just loved it. It was, it was a weird, funky game. Coastal just kind of like came out and they they were they came out swinging. I think they got up like 14 nothing, but then they just kind of didn't take advantage of opportunities. App State had a crucial fumble deep in Coastal territory late in that game. You weren't sure that App State was even going to get the ball back to finish the job, but they ended up doing it. Uh, You know, you had the goofy sequence at the end where. Coastal is literally trying to let uh, App State score and App State's just like getting a couple yards and kneeling down is is very funny. It was very strange and the 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 game-winning field goal barely snuck in uh it was just a great little uh fun belt treat on a wednesday night so looking at the saturday slate uh like i said it's it's kansas week for oklahoma uh probably don't need to pay a ton of attention there um wisconsin inexplicably favored once again uh they're they're on the road (laughs) uh, against that ranked purdue team i promised i would look up the last time purdue was ranked and it was uh the first week of october in 2007, Purdue moved to 5-0 and uh, after taking down Notre Dame at home. And this is when Notre Dame was at its absolute lowest point. Uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame fell to 0-5 with this loss. Uh, we saw two quarterbacks uh, split reps in this game for Notre Dame. It was Jimmy Clausen and Evan Sharpley, two names that just like if you followed college football at the time, you're just like, wow, I, don't, I never want to hear either of those names again. Uh, Curtis Painter was under center for Purdue in this game, did throw two picks, didn't matter. Uh, Corey Sheets running the ball for Purdue uh, got to 141 rushing yards in this game. Um, yeah, that's the last time Purdue was ranked. I believe if I can pull this up quickly, I believe they lost the next week and immediately went back to being unranked. So kind of a very Purdue way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And in 2007 just is in the lore of, of college football fans, because that was like the weirdest year. That's yep. that's the year where we had like the rotating door at the number two spot. I think USF got up to number two that year. Sure I mean, did. it was, it was just yeah, bonkers. This year has been very strange too, though. I mean, it 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 deserves its place in, in the pantheon at least for this century, as far as weirdness is concerned. But yeah, what are your thoughts on, on this Purdue team going up going up against your Badgers and your Badgers? Again, I feel like we say this every time that that we get on this pod, inexplicably favored. I don't get it. I I'm not excited about this one at all. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking as I scroll through the polls from that 07 season, uh, Kansas was number two at one point, uh, at, at one point, the two through four teams were Kansas, Missouri, and West Virginia. Just want to get that off my chest before we continue. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I am not excited for this game. I thought Wisconsin looked uh, extremely sluggish against army uh, last week. And, you know, Purdue is, is Purdue at the end of the day. And, and that's a nice win last week, but at the same time, that's probably not who they're going to be week to week. And that's not who Iowa is going to be week to week. So I guess I understand the line, but all Wisconsin's done is have big letdowns against ranked opponents in games that they're allegedly supposed to win. If you go by the spread 
and it's it's kind of hard to expect anything different. It's it's a weird matchup. Um, it, this one's in West Lafayette, right? It is. It is. So, so you you know you know exactly what that like panning crowd shot is going to be when the game starts. Yep, just a lot of gray sweatshirts, a lot of yep. gray hoodies, um, and a completely gray overcast right. uh, sky. Forty-eight well. degrees, drizzle. Yeah, it, it like it, there can be forecast for for the sun for it to be a sunny day on, on Saturday, but like the second that like the support staff and the players start to get on the field, it's going to get cloudy. Like that, that's just the the environment in which that game is played. It just the way the gods intend it. Yep. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. It's like as soon as the ball is kicked for the opening kickoff, if it like blocks out the sun or some sort of like eclipse type of scenario. But yeah, it, it's never a sunny day in West Lafayette. So I, I don't know if that bodes well for Wisconsin or not, uh, but I will be keeping an eye on that one. Um, we get Oklahoma State at Iowa State, a game that, you know, looked pretty appealing at the start of the year. I think if we if either of these teams were going to be ranked number eight overall, um, you know, if, if somebody asked you in, in week one, which of those teams would be number eight, you'd say Iowa State. Uh, turns mm-hmm. out they're unranked. They're at home for this one. They are favored by a touchdown. Uh, kind of rebounded from that rough start. They do sit at four and two. But I, Oklahoma State takes down what we think is a, a pretty decent Texas team. I mean, obviously one that that blew that game against Oklahoma, but still has an explosive offense, still has the best running back in the country. Oklahoma State goes in, gets that win last week, finally has a quality victory. And you know, as you mentioned, in a weird season like this where teams are falling left and right, suddenly that's enough to propel you into the top 10. Yeah, exactly. So so it doesn't feel like Oklahoma State's a top 10 team. It, it's just, yeah, like you said, a, a matter of everyone else kind of falling on their faces and them uh, sitting at an undefeated record at this stage of the season and having having beaten Texas uh, for whatever that's worth. So this is one of two games this week where a ranked is going on the road against an unranked team and yet is an underdog. Uh, so we got Oregon UCLA as the other one of those, but I think that the number itself is very surprising with, with this being a seven point favorite for Iowa state. And like you said, they kind of removed themselves from the conversation early, but they have been playing better of late. Brees Hall has seemed seemingly gotten on track. Xavier Hutchinson, the receivers having a good season. So uh, yeah, th- things are kind of looking up and, and despite just kind of seeing the, the number next to one team and, and not the other, and then still seeing the, the spread in favor of, of the team that's unranked, it, it's, there's a little bit of sticker shock there. But Bill Connolly, the SP+, Plus, it actually has Iowa State winning this one by 10. So I don't know what to think of that. I, I, I have to think that there's something – something just doesn't sit right with me for this game. So as far as betting this one, I really don't know which, which way I'd want to go. Um, I could see Oklahoma State winning this one, but yeah, I think that the fact that this is a touchdown in favor of Iowa State is a definite statement that A, Iowa State is playing better than you think and you need to pay attention again, and B, that Oklahoma State kind of paper tigers. I I believe that that's ultimately going to be proven true. Uh, Part of me wants, like, I'll be rooting for Oklahoma State to win this game because I think that provides them a little more legitimacy. And then you start to look ahead and, you know, they should take care of Kansas at home next week uh, they, they should take care of West Virginia the week after that you get TCU Texas Tech and then this would set up a an all-time showdown uh, against Oklahoma in the final week of the Big Ten schedule and, and again like it, at that point you know Oklahoma State would probably only have one ranked win well, I guess two if you, you count the Baylor game um, so it, it wouldn't exactly feel like a, a battle of the Titans but if both of those teams continue on their current courses you know that could that could legitimately be like a number three versus number four or number two versus number five type of game 
No, it really could. So uh, I would love that. That would be a lot of fun to I, Bedlam's always great when both those teams are good. Bedlam's usually good anyway, but yeah, I mean that that would be the highest stakes one since like the Baker Mayfield Mason Rudolph days. I, yeah. I think as as okay. far as uh, stakes are concerned. So um, yeah, hope to see that happen. And then as as far as the Oregon UCLA game, I'd be a little bit more in on on UCLA if I was a little bit more convinced of them. Like they. Uh, you know, they started the year hot and they, they, they beat LSU to, to start to uh, start the real part of their schedule. They obviously boat raced Hawaii in the opener in week zero, but they've been a little bit underwhelming uh, since. And Oregon in kind has been very underwhelming basically since they beat Ohio State. So I do tend to give the lean to, to the ranked side on this one. I, I think that, yeah, and you also have the Chip Kelly versus Oregon uh, narrative, but I think Oregon there gets in there and takes care of business and kind of just shuts down uh, the UCLA offense. I know that both these teams have been atrocious against the pass. We'll get to that in DFS in a minute, but I think on balance, Oregon just probably a little bit too talented and well-coached. So I, I think that they they find a way to escape this one uh, with a win and, and continue to to kind of underwhelm, but but keep the, keep the train moving. They've just never been able to replace DeAnthony Thomas. That's what it's come down to. They've, they've never been able to find anyone quite as dynamic as DeAnthony was at his peak. Uh, mm-hmm. Any other games you're keeping an eye on before we move to DFS? I mean, we, we do have Tennessee, Bama. Bama's you know, almost a four-touchdown favorite in that one as the line continues to move uh, in their direction. You know, we, we hit on LSU Ole Miss, just a ridiculous over-under in that game. I think it's up to 76. I'm sure we'll touch on that in the DFS segment. But any other games you're keeping an eye on? Um, you know, this one is not going to be pretty. So uh, – to be determined if the, if this will get uh, TV2 status um, on Saturday afternoon. But uh, as Grace Rayner, the the uh, Clemson reporter for The Athletic, tweeted out, Clemson, three-point underdogs against Pitt. I don't think I've ever written those words since taking this job. <laughs> I, I saw that tweet. I not, not too often these days that a Clemson beat reporter tweet goes viral. But, man, that, that's the state of the program. It, it sure is, man. So, I mean, Pitt, ranked Pitt, baby, uh, five and one. They are, they're weird. They're a weird team, but Pitt's always kind of weird. And, and Clemson, obviously, they, they have their own struggles defensively. I, I still think that they're very, very good. Uh, maybe not as good as they could be, if not for some injuries that they've had on that side of the ball. But offensively, they are just still such a mess. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you see an over-under of 48 in this game. It's an expected defensive battle. Um, I do kind of like Clemson to win a defensive battle, just, just kind of based on, on those numbers and the talent that I know they have, but obviously Kenny Pickett and, and Pitt have done very well for themselves this year and, and they're at home. So, uh, stranger things have happened. And, and again, you know, that Pitt is the favorite side in this one. All right. Speaking of Kenny Pickett, you can get him at 8,400 on DraftKings for that main slate, uh, against Clemson. Uh, where are you looking at quarterback? Uh, which games are you targeting? You know, like I mentioned that that Ole Miss LSU game has a, a crazy high total, but are there any kind of hidden gem games that, that you're going to be targeting for DFS purposes? Yeah. So your, your smaller tournaments, I, I think, and your cash games, of course, uh, Ole Miss LSU is going to be kind of where it's at. Um, you know, an over under of 76, especially when that's like 10 points north of any other game on the slate. Um, that's going to draw a lot of attention. And of course, Oklahoma, kind of doing all the heavy lifting with, with that one being the second highest total on the board at 66 and a half, but OU expected to get 52.75 uh, 
of those points. So I look down the board a little bit. I think Maryland, Minnesota could get a little bit funky this week. I don't think either defense is particularly good. Maryland's coming off the bye. Uh, it, it is in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, they, they've lost so much in their in their backfield. You know, you you lose Mo Ibrahim to start the season, um, and then Trey Potts goes out for the year. So they're kind of just cobbling it together. But they they found something a little bit in Bryce Williams um, a week ago, and I, I think that Maryland's defense is really really teetering. I think they could be in trouble. So that one could be. Uh, pretty fun um, on Saturday, and that, that could be a game that you want to get some exposure to. And I think also Texas Tech, Kansas State, um, there's like enough cheap value um, on the Texas Tech side of that one specifically um, to where I, I think that that's going to be a, a game to uh, to target. And maybe that can get you a little bit different fr from the chalk that, that is going to be Oklahoma plus the LSU Ole Miss game. All right, where are we looking at running back, you got Brees Hall at the top. You got Kennedy Brooks, who's been running really well these last few weeks. You got Jerome Ford at Cincinnati. They go up against Navy, uh, four touchdown favorites in that game. Over under sits just south of 50 points in that game. But, um, you know, do you like any of those elite options? And, and if not, um, where are you looking a little further down the board? Yeah, Ford is just, he's so dominant on like a per carry basis. Um, it does, I tend to just fade any game that, that has a, a triple option team in it because the clock bleed is so real. Right. Um, but Cincinnati has proven to be pretty quick strike and, and, you know, they've taken on some slower tempo teams and, and, and taken care of business before. So um, I would like Ford, you know, he's, he's 8,300. Hall at 94 is just, it's tough to justify that. I know he, he's about to wear, he was a year ago on, on a points per game basis. You know, he, he's definitely turned things around since that slow start to open the season against UNI and against Iowa. Um, but OK State is really good against the run. And that, that game has a pretty low total. So, I mean, if you're going to get any Iowa State exposure, I guess it is Brees Hall. But I don't think I'm going to go heavy at him. Jalen Warren on the other side is interesting at, at 8K just because uh, the, the workload for him is Brees Hall-esque. I mean, he, he's gotten 30 carries, I, I want to say, in like four straight games or three out of the last four. They are really, really feeding him, uh, even when he's not being explosive. Um, so I, I think you do need to consider him. But I, I think where I go is Kennedy Brooks. I, I think one way that I'm going to go at Oklahoma this week is just to go Caleb Williams and Kennedy Brooks. And I, I, I'm of the opinion that Oklahoma probably still feels like it needs to kind of re-endear itself to, to the national audience and, and going up against Kansas is a great opportunity to get some style points. It, it could be a game where like no one really watches it that closely, but they, they check the, the box score. They check the score on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and they see that, that Oklahoma scored 70 and they're like, okay, Oklahoma's back. Um, so I think the combination of, of Williams and Brooks is an interesting way of going at that Oklahoma offense um, Brooks really seems to be tapping into something and they, they really are uh, responding by giving him a good workload, especially alongside Caleb Williams. I'm a little bit interested in pivoting down to and going Eric Gray, the, the transfer uh, from Tennessee. He was kind of billed probably too hastily by, by a lot of the college fantasy community as the guy that's just going to be the, the uh, running back one for um, Oklahoma. He hasn't performed overly well this season, but he is good out of the backfield as a pass catcher and he can still get it done um, on the ground. So um, in a game where Oklahoma might be ha might be nursing a huge lead, you might see them start to dip into their depth a little bit 
in which case I think Eric Gray makes a little bit of sense. All right. And what about receiver? Uh, a lot of parody again this week. You, you have Dontario Drummond and David Bell sitting at the top. Bell coming off of his second 40-plus DraftKings point game uh, of the season in, in just five appearances. Also had that huge game at UConn in week two. For as just like horrific as the Badgers have been to watch, the defense has been close to its normal level. Maybe not quite as dominant, but with the defensive line, I, I think it's still really good. The secondary does worry me. Uh, some of these games, you know, Notre Dame, Penn State, they were able to be beat. Uh, over the middle, Jahan Dotson ate that defense for lunch. I, do, do you roll with David Bell, or is this an opponent that maybe makes you back off a little bit? You know, I think I would. I think that we're going to see Bell's roster percentage maybe be a little bit less than it should, just out of respect for the opponent. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're starting to get into that point of the season where weather uh, does factor into our decisions a little bit, but Purdue doesn't have a run game to speak of. David Bell is like basically everything to that offense when he's healthy and he's been healthy the last couple of weeks. And so especially in a PPR format where, where you're seeing uh, him, you know, push for 15 targets in, in a given week. Um, I think Bell ma- makes a lot of sense uh, this week. Drummond, of course, you know, being the, the top build receiver in a game with, with the highest over under, he's of course going to be popular. Um, he's going to need to do a lot to, to hit value. There, Jordan Addison, uh, someone who who kind of carries that pit passing game. But again, I'm a little bit gun shy about going heavy at pit just because I think Clemson's defense um, is that legit. So going back to that Texas Tech offense that I talked about a little bit ago, Eric Azukanma, just 6,500, an explosive, explosive guy that they've got back there um, going up against a Kansas State defense and secondary that I don't think is all that special. Um, but if you want to drop down a little bit, 5,900, Kalen Geiger, he's been getting a lot of targets. And again, that, that PPR wrinkle makes him really, really interesting. Um, again, at 5,900 uh, when it when it comes to that Texas Tech offense. So that that's kind of how I'm going to be approaching that one. A uh, couple quick comments on the on the run back, running backs, just again, real quick. Uh, Bryce Williams, uh, 5,400. Uh, going up against Maryland, I, I really do like his setup in that particular matchup. Davis Price from LSU, 6,600. I think if you can, if LSU has any prayer of keeping up with Ole Miss on the scoreboard, especially without Keishon Butte, I think it's through Davis Price. I think that they, they try to see how how well he can run once again, um, especially if you're on the road and you get that run established, that, that can be something that, that takes the crowd out of it a little bit. Um, like Blake Corum at 7,100 of, of Michigan as well, and Hassan Haskins, uh, pretty interesting as well. So that, that's kind of my, my final read on the running backs and also on on the uh, and the, and the receivers. And then uh, Chris Ottman-Bell um, of Minnesota, 6,200, 12 targets last week. I think that we're going to start to see that continue. He's someone that that was billed as like the next uh, Rashad Bateman or, or at least having the Rashad Bateman role in this offense. And he just wasn't healthy through the early part of the season. But uh, again, I, I am of the belief that Minnesota puts up a lot of points on Saturday against Maryland. And, and Ottman Bell is a really, really good way of going about it. I was really encouraged by what he did last week. All right, I want to make this a weekly segment where you just tell me your level of confidence that the Ravens are going to win their game, and then I take that information and apply it to my pick em pools. Ravens are at home against the Bengals. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites. How are we feeling? Uh, so uh, this week it's a, on a scale of 1 to 13? Uh, no, so they, cha- they actually changed it this year. It used to be that way. Now they they start with 16, so it's like 4 to 16. Oh, cool. Um, I would I would go 10. Um, I, I think okay. that the Bengals are frisky. It's a division game. Um, I, I think 
you look at the way that the Ravens dominated the Chargers last week, I think they did so because the Chargers didn't really have much in the way of receiving help. Mike Williams was banged up. So I think the Bengals are going to have a little bit more success on uh, through the air this week that, than, uh, than the Chargers did. Um, so give, give me uh, give me 10. I, I, that's just out of respect uh, to the Bengals a little bit, but I, I do think that the Ravens come out on top here. I just can't on the being good. Like I feel like they were, they were so mediocre to average to below average for a while yeah. um, that it, it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I love Joe Burrow, but like for some reason, it just, even though they're four and two, it doesn't seem like they should be four and two. Uh, but I, I think you're on the right track there. I'm, I'm pulling up my, my picks right now. I actually have the Ravens at 10. So we're, we're uh, oh, on exactly baby. the right track. Yeah. I love it. Uh, looking forward to another fun weekend of college football. The Jags, thankfully are off this weekend so I can just enjoy watching football in peace <laughs> on Sunday. I, I don't have to get up at 8.30 a.m. and just be in a straight panic uh, until that game ends. But uh, fun talking How was to that watching time. experience for you, uh, by the way? It wasn't great. Let me tell you that. It was, uh, it was a streaming in the car. I, I feel like I'm traveling every single Sunday morning. Uh, I was back home in, in the Green Bay area on Saturday. So woke up specifically. I set an alarm to get up and watch the game. So I watched the first, like, I don't know, 45 minutes or so uh, in my in my parents' living room, and then had to stream it on my phone the entire way back to Milwaukee. It's not great because you know rural Wisconsin, which is a lot of that drive, doesn't get the greatest cell reception. Um, so thankfully, my data is back after I, I burned a bunch of it watching a Brewers game uh, while driving a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I just keep finding myself in these in these situations where I'm like over caffeinated, stuck in a car, can only watch one game at once, um, sweating out a, a Jaguars game taking place on the other side of the world for some reason. <laughs> But it was it was nice. There was a nice moment of rejoicing. I happened to be on the phone uh, with a friend discussing plans for for the Packers game. Uh, the moment that the, the field goal happened, I felt comfortable answering the call because I just assumed they would miss. So, <laughs> like I, I'm like shouting into the phone. Like my, my girlfriend comes running downstairs. Like what happened? What happened? I'm like what do you mean? What happened? Like what what's the only thing I've cared about all day? The streak is over, baby. The boys won. <laughs> Herbs on the, the board. Town. Yeah, actually, I walked outside and the whole neighborhood, everybody came out on the front porch and clapped for me. Uh, it was like when, when people celebrated doctors early in the pandemic, people were banging on pots and pans. Like I got, I got carried around the neighborhood on a float. It, it was amazing. Teal confetti littered the streets of Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, they, they canceled work on Monday. They canceled school on Monday. Uh, no, I'm just relieved that it's over. I was really worried they were going to set the record. And that would have been really embarrassing for me. Um, but, you know, hey. Sometimes you just got to lose 20 games in a row. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.